you may be wondering, who is this guy, Steve, and how is he here all the time? How did that come about anyway? About a decade ago, some of you may remember Jim Kaler. He used to be on the staff at the church. And, and uh, when River Glen moved into your first phase facility, uh, the other side of the hallway here, uh, Jim called one day and said, you know, we're going to do a men's retreat. Would you be willing to come and lead that? And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll come and do that. So, uh, and then he said, hey, uh, could you speak that weekend too? Yeah, okay, on Sunday? Okay, I did that. And, and after that was over, Ben Davis said, hey, uh, would you mind coming back another time and, and filling in on a, a weekend? And Sure, I, I can do that. And after that second time, Ben said, hey, what do you think about coming next year and maybe do three or four weekends with us? And Okay, and basically that was a decade ago and, and uh, been here for like 10 years, almost 50, t- a year of your life. About 50 times you put up with me, and I appreciate that over the last decade. It kind of feels like River Glen. Well, thank you very much. A very uh, hospitable group you are. I was telling the worship team last night that uh, it kind of feels like a church home away from home, and uh, it's enjoyable to come and, sh- and share with you. So that's the, that's the story as, as to why this guy always shows up every once in a while. Uh, last time my wife was here, and we did a message together to kind of a tag team on love and respect. And she's not able to be with us this weekend. And maybe you're disappointed about that. But uh, she wrote my message for me. So uh, we're good there. Uh, I'd like to tell you a story about another man named Ben. Uh, ben grew up outside of Detroit in Michigan. He, he uh, had a difficult childhood. His parents divorced when he was 8 years old. And he and his 10-year-old brother were raised by their mother. Ben, in his autobiography, said that he had a very difficult time struggling with his temper. When he was in the ninth grade, he and a friend got into a fight over a a radio station. He took out a knife, and he went to stab his friend. The knife blade broke. Ben realized he had a a problem with anger. So he he got out the, the book of Proverbs, and he read verses on anger, trying to address his situation. Books became his escape. He was quite intelligent and uh After graduating from Detroit Southwestern High School, Yale University offered him an opportunity for school, an Ivy League college. He went there and graduated, then he went to University of Michigan Medical School, became a doctor. In fact, he became a a surgeon, and he was the director of pediatric neurosurgery at Johns Hopkins Hospital. In the late 1980s, he separated conjoined twins who had been joined at the back of the head. He led a 70-member surgical team, had 22 hours of surgery, and both twins survived. In 2008, the, the White House awarded Ben the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the nation's highest civilian honor. Well, two years ago, after a very successful career as a neurosurgeon, this man with, with the gifted hands decided to retire. He, he sensed that God was calling him into a different direction. Dr. Ben Carson has now accepted the challenge to run for the presidency. And whether you agree with his political views or not, His character has been above reproach. His commitment is to be admired. In fact, last year, uh, the Gallup Company conducted a poll, and and Ben Carson ranked number six on the listing of the most admired men in the world. Ben Carson is following God's lead on his life. When you do that, win or lose, you live your life without regrets. Stepping up when God is calling is quite admirable. Those that stay put, those who who say no when God calls, are often constrained by fear. Destructive fear diminishes the the quality of our lives. It it mutes our joy and robs our satisfaction. 
It causes us to anticipate the future with dread rather than exhilaration. Destructive fear must be stopped in its tracks or it will undermine the kind of life that God invites us into. History is filled with with men and women who said no to fear and worked at changing the world. What if the Apostle Paul had, had feared rejection and he chose to stay home rather than embarking on missionary journeys, taking the message of Christ throughout the known world? What if Rosa Parks meekly submitted to the bus driver's command to give up her seat to a white person? Instead, she resisted in her powerful protest against racial segregation became a lightning rod that culminated in the Montgomery bus boycott and helped catalyze the civil rights movement in the 1960s. What if Nelson Mandela looked the other way when he witnessed and experienced apartheid in South Africa because he didn't want to make a fuss? Instead, he spent 27 years in prison and he brought apartheid onto the world's radar, helping end the centuries-old regime of oppression. Well, running for the presidency is probably out for you. Leading a revolution is probably on your back burner at best. I get that. However, do you ever give it some thought as to what God may be calling you to do next? What's next for you? Deborah did. Deborah was a mom back in Israel. There was a a desperate condition in her country, her home country. People were no longer following after God's ways, and and it impacted her. Something needed to be done. God opened a door. Scripture says that she arose. She took a stand, and she went after it. Her heart was stirred. God had given her some gifts, and she put them to use. She was willing to get involved, and she sensed that he was calling her. She displayed strength, and she took action. Well, let's look a little further today into the story of Deborah found in the Old Testament book of Judges. Prior to Deborah's arrival, the children of Israel, they they struggled to reach that promised land under their leader, Moses. Eventually, they they entered the land under the leadership of of Joshua. But after these two men were gone, the, the nation of Israel kind of fell apart. Judges chapter 2, verse 10 says, After the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. They weren't reading their history books, so they just repeated it. After Joshua died, another generation came along forgetting what God had done for their people. They worshipped false gods in their new land until God finally used the surrounding nations and, and raised them up in order to punish the Israelites. When that kind of thing happened, the people often cried out to God and begged for forgiveness. God forgave them, granted them a leader to help overthrow their enemies. Then they'd get soft again and lapse back into an attitude of complacency, and they'd repeat the cycle. The cycle went like this. Disobedience, which led to disaster. They'd cry out to God for deliverance. Disobedience, disaster, and deliverance over and over again. Well, during this season, God saved them through one of the judges that he raised up. The judges were between the time of Joshua and the time of the kings. In our day, we think of a judge as someone that presides over a a courtroom. But in their times, a judge was someone that was was like a a political, spiritual, and military leader all combined into one. And this weekend, we find that the, the Israelites had fallen back into their old ways into their usual cycle of forgetting about God and following false gods. And onto the scene burst this unlikely person, Deborah. 
God filled that position with, with a, a woman who was definitely living in a man's world. I mean, a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, women didn't hold influential positions. They, they didn't lead nations. This was quite unusual. Let me give you some of the details. In, in the Old Testament story, the previous judge, Ehud, had died. The Israelites fell back into their default mode, doing evil. The king of Canaan, a man by the name of Jabin, took them under his control. Jabin's army commander, Sisera, had 900 iron chariots and cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried out to the Lord for help. And after 20 years of disasters, they, they finally cried, Uncle. And God called Deborah. Scripture says that Deborah was a prophetess, one who spoke on God's behalf, and she made some predictions that came true as well. Judges 4 says she also held court. Deborah wasn't born a princess and one day inherited a kingdom. God raised her up. He called her into this ministry. She willingly stepped into this role, and, and probably not without controversy. In a culture where women were treated as possessions and property, a woman served as the highest ruler of the land for God's people. She was their leader. They went to her for counsel. Not only did Deborah hold court, but she devised plans too. She was a strategist. In Judges chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, she sent for a guy named Barak, and she said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel commanded you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead the way to Mount Tabor. She said, I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, and his chariots and troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak responded to her plan by saying, I'm not going to do it without you. If you go with me, then I'll do it. Well, no brave heart in his future, was there? I mean, that guy just couldn't be counted on. Deborah was definitely a, a leader with courage. And at that point, the same thing could not be said of Barak. Deborah could have said, I'm the judge. I, I, I'm in charge here. I, you're my military leader. Go lead. Fight the battle. Instead, she said, I'll go with you. But some of your honor is going to be taken away. In other words, everybody's going to know that you needed me to help bail you out. If I were Deborah, I, I might have been tempted to look for someone else to lead my army. I mean, where was his courage? She showed him the courage that he was lacking. Verses 12 through 16, when, when Sisera, the army commander, was told that Barak and his troops were at Mount Tabor, he gathered his 900 chariots and, and all his men. That would be like having tanks today. Deborah, encouraging Barak on, said, go. This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? And Barak heard those words, so he went, along with 10,000 other men, and, and they routed Sisera and his troops. Mighty Sisera, this leader of 900 iron chariots, what happened to him? Well, he abandoned his own chariot and fled on foot. It sounds kind of like the classic ending to, to all superhero movies, doesn't it? The enemy is defeated, but then at the last second he makes a mad dash elsewhere and, and it's now time for the sequel. Where did he go? Where did Sisera run? Well, Judges chapter 4, verse 17 and following tells of his next venture of the sequel, so to speak. He, he ran to the tent of Jael, the, the wife of Heber. And why there? 
Well, he thought that the king, Jabin, was on good terms with Heber's family. He thought they'd take him in, that he could hide there, that he'd be safe. Well, Jael, another leading female in today's story, she went out to meet Sisera. She invited him in. She started putting a covering on him in order to kind of to, to hide him. He'd been running for a while. He was quite fatigued by then, and he asked for some water to drink. Well, instead of water, she gave him milk. Actually, it was more like yogurt, and it kind of made him sleepy. Then she started to just kind of tuck him in, and what happened next? Did she protect him, notify the authorities, pray for him? Well, just before drifting off to sleep, Sisera said, stand in the doorway, and if someone comes by and asks if anyone is here, say no. This is where we have kind of a a PG-13 moment in today's message. J.L., Heber's wife, she picked up a hammer and a tent peg, and she went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. And she drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. The women in their culture often had the task of pitching the tents. And Jael must have been an experienced tent pitcher because she did not miss. And shortly afterward, Barak, he, he arrived, and, and he's looking to get Sisera, and he, he, he didn't know that he was a little too late. Jael said, I'll show you the man you're looking for. He went in with her, and Scripture says, there lay Sisera with a tent peg through his temple, dead. The Israelites went on to win the battle. They overtook King Jabin, and it wouldn't have happened without people leading. People like Deborah, people like Jael, people like Barak. There's some pretty graphic stories in Scripture sometimes, aren't there? But, but there's also a point. God is in charge. He, he taught the children of Israel and many that followed him that there were significant roles for people in God's kingdom. Not only did he use Deborah, but Jael was no slouch either. Two women received much honor for the defeat of Sisera, Deborah, who started it, and Jael, who finished it. Judges chapter 5 records the, the song of Deborah. It, it proclaimed God's greatness, and it gave him credit for the victory. Verse 31 says, So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but may they who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Judges chapter 5 goes on to say, Then the land had peace for 40 years. God used a couple of women in a man's world to change an entire nation for over four decades. I heard the story told recently about a cruise ship that ran into a terrible storm one day. And some curiosity seekers, they went out onto the deck to to see the waves beating against the side of the ship, and, and a woman fell overboard in the midst of the storm. Well, everyone was frozen with fear, but but the oldest man on the ship, an 80-year-old man, was in the water immediately. He swam to the woman, and and he held on to her until a lifeboat came to rescue both of them. Well, that night, they gave a banquet in honor of the 80-year-old man, and at the appropriate time, he, he slowly rose to speak to the crowd, and he said, I only have one thing to say. Who pushed me? (laughs) Well, maybe God has been placing in your heart a burden for a certain cause that he wants you to get involved with for him. Maybe you've been getting a little push from God recently, and and it's time to listen. I, I don't know how Deborah came to become a judge. When the opportunity emerged, she she stepped up. 
Deborah responded to a need. God wired her for a certain cause, and, and she got a, a 4.0. Barack was a bit timid to begin with, but eventually he answered the call too, and, and he got involved. God uses different people at different times for different purposes, and, and he always has. Now, let me tell you about somebody around here whose life has taken a very different trajectory over the years. His name is uh, John Howard. John's a friend of mine. I'd like to talk to him a little bit about how God's thanks. used him. John, thanks for joining us today. You know, Thank some you. of you only know that John, John from having been on staff at the church the past few years, but he did other things before that. In fact, uh, John was in the car business for a number of years. He sold cars, and he was a sales manager. Then basically, he was running the car dealership and doing very well. But then some things started to change. So, John, why don't you tell us a little bit yeah, about I was that process? Through, um, a time in my life where I had a very successful career and uh, doing good, um, good income. And I've been wrestling with some things. Kelly and I, my wife, we had been talking for a while. I just knew that um, there was more to life than working 60 plus hours a week. And, and if you're doing that, there's more to life. And uh, the idea was I needed to make a change, but I didn't know what the change should be or could be. So you're... you're Sensing a, a bit of unrest right. at that time? Kind of like a holy discontent. Okay. And I felt like I was getting these nudges of the Holy Spirit. And in 2002, we were, uh, we were attending a different church, and, uh, and I remember to this day, the pastor that weekend, he gave a message, and it was called, Jesus, the Calling of a Lifetime. And in his message, kind of what he was saying was, like, it's great to have a career, it's great to have all these things, but is that what Jesus wants you to be doing? And uh, I really, you know, it was one of those moments where I think we've all had them. You're, you're sitting in service and you're like, wow, God is speaking directly to me. And uh, hopefully you respond a little bit different than I did. What did you do? I kind of sat on that for about sat a year. For a year, okay. Yeah, well, sometimes conversations. So you sat for, sometimes, you know, though, uh, when God is trying to get your attention, uh, I found this personally to be true as well, that uh, it might be a, there might be a wake-up call, but there's a transition. So it takes some time before right. you might even make that jump. Mm -hmm. and you want to make sure you're on board with your spouse if you're right. married. That's so important. What, what happened yeah. next? Well, and it's, it's the fear of the unknown. So if I make a okay. move, what am I going to do? Well, in that year, we had started attending River Glen. We came to a new church. And it, it was a year to the day. It was the exact same weekend. And Ben is teaching this message. And the message is titled, One More Night with the Frogs. And the setting is that Pharaoh is dealing with these plagues, and he knows that if Aaron and Moses come and pray, that the plagues will stop. So Pharaoh summons Aaron and Moses, and he says, well, you know what? Before you pray, give me one more night to think about this. And that weekend, Ben's point was, what's going on in your life? What decision could you make right now today to change your life? So what decision did you make? Yeah, so I went to work on Monday morning, and this had, Kelly and I had been talking about this for a long time. I, I put everything into order, and then I returned on Tuesday, and without having a plan, I uh, resigned from my position. Wow. So didn't know where you were going, right. and uh, wanted some flexibility, so you went into the real estate world. I, I did. I wanted to find a job where um, I could be more in control of my schedule, and in real estate, you know, I was able to do that. You could pick your own hours. And I wanted to do that so I could be freed up to volunteer more and to serve more and to get more involved at church. 
So put yourself back to that time in, uh, a decade or so ago, and you're, you're selling houses, you're, you have more flexibility, although you took an income reduction at that mm -hmm, time. Mm -hmm. uh, did you have regrets? You know, there's uh, several great things that happened. Um, first of all, Kelly will tell you that I changed instantly, and I, I saw a guy after first service, and he came up to me, and he knew me. 13 okay. years ago, and he goes, you did change. Huh. And so all the For pressure, the good, I take all it, the right? stress, yeah. yeah. A lot of that instantly uh, alleviated. But the upside, the other side of that was then I just started serving at River Glen in a lot of different ways. I got involved in the student ministry. I started going on junior high mission trips. I talked my wife into going on junior high mission trips. One, one summer, we came home from a mission trip. We unpacked our bags in front of the wash machine, did our laundry, packed the bag, packed packed the bags back up, and the next day we went to a Christian camp with River Glen, and we were camp parents. Yeah. And that was what I always wanted. I knew there was more. Well, you were also on a track to become an elder here. Yeah. And I think you were, John was telling me a little bit, or he went to lunch with Ben, and uh, at the very end of the lunch, uh, sometimes, you know, there's, there's the very end thing where it's, oh, one more thing type yeah. statement, which uh, Ben yeah. pulled on you, didn't he? Kind of a funny, funny thing happened to me on the way to becoming an elder. I'm at lunch with Ben, and we finalized everything, and you know, we were going to you know, talk, talk through the details how that would become official. And I've all packed up. I've got my notes. I put them on my folder, and, and I'm leaving. And Ben goes, hey, one more thing before you leave. And he said, have you ever thought about working for the church? And, and I hadn't. Yeah. It never, ever occurred to me. I didn't leave to go do that. But you did. But, yeah, and that, it's been seven years? Seven years. That was wow. 2008. You know, what? I've had, I'm, I'm similar in age to John, and over the years I've had numerous lunches with people that said, you know, I'm doing pretty well in my career, and, and, but there's just kind of something missing, and what, what would you recommend? What, what, what should I do, and what kind of advice would you give to someone in that same kind of yeah, scenario? Yeah, I think, you know, you get this, this holy discontent, you will, or these leadings from the Holy Spirit. Say yes. Just absolutely say yes. You know, pray about it. You know, seek counsel. You know, mm -hmm. you mentioned you were at friends, lunch with friends, talking. Um, but the more you say yes to the leadings of the Holy Spirit, the more opportunity you get to say yes. Well, John, we're, we're thankful for what you do around here, helping people in uh, many different ways. And uh, we pray you keep up the great work. I'm glad right. that you did say yes. Thanks for sharing with us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sir. good job. Thank you. You know, John is an example of, of someone following God's lead and, and making a difference for eternity, but, but the answer isn't always quit your job and join the church staff. I mean, can you imagine? We, we, we couldn't go on, but, but the answer for some is to do that, but for most of us, it's to do something different. Uh, wh what is God calling you to do? Maybe, maybe you drive a, a Harley and you have six buddies that are Harley riders too, and, and you ask these six guys to go on a venture with you together, and you get to just kind of model Jesus to them for a week. And, and, and maybe your wife would be behind that as well. And, and it's a way to impact your people, you know. I had a friend that uh, lived across the street from us in our former home. Uh, he was not a Christ follower. But uh, I one time said to him, Marv, you know, you're kind of the the pastor of the neighborhood. He looked at me like, what? I said, yeah, you're, you're just, you always know what's going on. You're, you're helping people. You're sharing with them. It's just, the guy was like living an Acts 2 kind of life, only he didn't claim Christ to be leading it. But uh, there may be some ways in your neighborhood where you can make an impact where you are. God may be calling you to do something additional or, or different than how you're being used today. God calls everyone 
to make a difference for him. When we look back at that story in Judges today, I guess you could say this story had, had three different styles of leadership or followership that were employed, and, and they were crucial for his plan to work. I wonder which one you might relate to the most. Was it that first one, which was a heroic leader, that being J.L.? She rose to the occasion, didn't she? I'm, I'm sure it was something which she... She had no previous experience. She's probably living this quiet, nomadic kind of life, performing the, the daily routines like much, many of us do. Perhaps the, it's the way you live or, or the way that you volunteer as well. You're involved in the daily. You're, you're, you're taking care of others. You're being a good neighbor. You're, you're trying to make a difference. Uh, with the heroic, when the opportunity arises, they have this knack for seizing the moment. It may not have been planned, but you respond. You're, you're sensitive to an opportunity, and, and you don't let it go by without helping. Maybe you're a real protector of others, or you're involved in the medical field. Uh, maybe uh, you're a law enforcement officer. Uh, maybe you provide counseling, or you're a good friend, and, and you often provide a, a listening ear. If that's the case, believe it or not, you're heroic. There are so many people in our society that have been wounded and, and providing a hand up or a safe place or a caring conversation is absolutely vital. Let me ask you this. Can you take some steps where, where you protect and you help guide others? Be a, a humble hero. Well, maybe you relate to Barack. He was more of a reluctant kind of leader, wasn't he? For whatever reason, he didn't want to participate at first. And even though he had this prominent role in Deborah's armed forces, he needed a push. He needed some additional encouragement along the way. Barack was, was probably scared, but the bottom line is that he led anyway. He, he eventually moved forward in faith. Do you know that his name is mentioned in Hebrews 11, the, the, the Hall of Fame chapter in the New Testament of the Bible? His name is listed there right between Gideon and Samson. Maybe his story describes where you've been or maybe where, where you are these days. Has your confidence been shaken and now you're hesitant? You're, you're more on the reluctant side? Maybe you received a, a poor review at work and you wonder if you have what it takes. Maybe your teenager or one of your kids has been giving you a hard time lately and your confidence as a parent has been dinged. On the financial front, maybe you've been operating more in the red recently than in the black, and you're feeling like you're a bit of a financial failure. How do I know that those kinds of things may, may make you be more reluctant to lead or follow? Well, at one time or another, those examples have all been part of my own life. I understand that those kinds of things hinder our ability to, to move forward and, and make a difference in God's work. Quite frankly, you don't have to be heroic but God is calling you to be faithful. And you can ask for help and still lead. Have you been a reluctant small group leader or reluctant host? Have you been challenged to do something for God only to say, I don't know what to do? Will you consider changing your tune just a bit and instead say, I don't know what to do, but I'll do it? You might be surprised how God can use you Maybe you relate to Deborah today. She was a consistent leader. She was consistent for, for 20 years, served her family, served her country. Uh, there were no stories of Deborah storming the countryside. She did her job day in, day out with the Lord's strength. 
served, her, served him all the while, trusting in him. Does that steady effort describe you? Can you keep your consistency going? Can you stay faithful even when no one notices? There are many people around this church just like that. Jan stuffs papers in the weekend programs. She vacuums and cleans the church, provides child care for various special services and events, serving behind the scenes but making a difference. Ken helped with building projects and provides audio for church services, weekends, and also for funerals and and other weddings and other events. He uses his technical gifts for God. Eric uses his skills in kid life, and for several years now, he's been coaching others and helping them develop their skills to help advance Christ's cause. Uh, Mary serves in EDGE, part of the student ministry. She's been serving and leading for years. Jeff and Ross often come early on Saturdays. They prepare the communion trays. They serve communion. They help collect the offering. Then they help clean up the auditorium afterward, always smiling during the time and often bringing friends with them. These folks are just a few of the many who are saying yes to God's leadings. Friends, every single person can be used by God. You don't have to quit your job in the marketplace and join the church staff in order to make an eternal difference, but God does call some to do that, and he calls many to engage in other ways. You may think that you're a nobody, but that's not true. During World War II, when Britain was experiencing its darkest days, the country had difficulty trying to keep men working in the coal mines. Many wanted to give up their dirty, thankless jobs in the dangerous mines to join the military service, which received much public praise and far more public support. Yet their work in the mines was critical to the success of the war. Without coal, the military and the people at home would be in trouble. So the Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, faced thousands of coal miners one day, and he told them of their importance to the war effort, how their role could make or break the goal of maintaining England's freedom. And Churchill painted a picture of what it would be like when the war ended, of of the grand parade that would honor people who fought the war. He said, first would come the the sailors of the Navy, the people who continued the tradition of Trafalgar and the, the defeat of the Spanish Armada. Next would come the best and brightest of of Britain in the pilots of the Royal Air Force who fended off the German Luftwaffe. And following them would be the soldiers who had fought in Dunkirk. And then last of all would come the coal dust covered men in their miners caps. And Churchill indicated that, that someone from the crowd might say, and where were you in the critical days of the struggle? And the voices of 10,000 men would respond, we were deep in the earth with our faces to the coal. And it said that tears appeared in the eyes of those hardened men, and they returned to their inglorious work with steely resolve, having been reminded of the role that they were playing in their country's noble goal of preserving freedom for the Western world. Friends, in order for the church of God to prevail, it takes men and women, sons and daughters, giving their lives to Jesus Christ and then doing whatever it takes to advance his cause. Ordinary people being used by God. Someday, there's going to be a parade in heaven, too. Near the front of the line will be people well-known for their faith, people like Charles Spurgeon or Billy Graham or Bill Hybels. Farther on down will be many church leaders and missionaries and pastors who gave their lives so that others would know Christ. 
Then there's going to be this huge wave of people. People by the droves that volunteered in the church and were employed in the marketplace doing hand-to-hand combat with the enemy on a daily basis, fighting temptation and witnessing for Christ. People like Billy Graham and Ben Davis, people like me or the best man in your wedding or your neighbor or your aunt will be will be watching and they'll be cheering loudly and people that have been brought to Christ are going to be leaping to their feet and shouting the loudest hooray possible because people in that third wave, people in the third wave are the people that God used to rescue so many souls of those that needed his son Jesus. And whether you lead heroically or reluctantly or consistently, God can use you and a tremendous difference can be made. Do you want to march in that third wave? I hope so. I can't wait to cheer. Let's pray. Father, we'd like to thank you for this story of Deborah involving J.L. and Barack as well today. One that might motivate us to step up perhaps or switch how we're to be used. Uh, Father, some of us in this room maybe entered with our arms folded. And I pray that we'd go from having folded arms to clasped hands, willing to pray and ask you for guidance. Lord, some of us are, have been asking for guidance, and I pray that you would just open up our eyes so that we can see what it is that you would have us to do next. Father, would you give some of us uh, the, the courage that we need to take that next bold step to serve you and lead for you in in the capacity that you seem to be identifying. Give us the, the faith, like many that are listed in Hebrews 11, to serve you so that you can be honored. That's our goal, to impact people for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.